Welcome to the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast, bringing you weekly discussions designed to help you grow your business and create the lifestyle you desire. Elevate your business with proven strategies from CPAs and business advisors. We discuss real-world challenges solved with actionable steps that get you real results, both in business and building the life you desire. Thank you for tuning in to episode number 70 of the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast brought to you by PJS and Co. CPAs. I'm your host, Megan Spicer, and we have quite a bit to share with you all in today's episode with our guests, so I'm going to jump right into it. We are chatting about optimizing revenue in your law firm with our friends in the legal industry over at Lexicon. They have been around for over 12 years, offering a wide range of legal support services that integrate into their practice management software suite, helping firms increase efficiencies and recognize more revenue. Before I introduce you to our guests from Lexicon today, I'll welcome Katina Peters back on. She, as you all know, is our partner here at PJS and Co. CPAs. How are you doing, Katina? Doing great. I'm super excited about this topic. Love law firms, love optimizing revenue and efficiencies. So it's uh, just something I really enjoy talking about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And we are thrilled to welcome our guests from Lexicon on today's show. So our first guest is the CEO of Lexicon. He has a diverse global business leadership background and is driving Lexicon's strategy with a relentless focus on superior customer service. Welcome to the show, Scott Brennan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're so excited to talk. Like Katina said, we nerd out about this stuff. So we're so excited to dive in with both of you. Yeah, we do too. Yeah, yeah. And in addition, we have our second guest, the CFO and COO of Lexicon, a CPA and CGMA. You all know what those acronyms mean. With over 25 years of industry experience, his strong operations and project management skills are focused on software solutions, budgeting, and overall performance improvement. We want to extend a warm welcome to Tom Boster. Thank you. Yeah, I didn't hear the applause meter going there. I do appreciate the welcome. And, yeah, and, and it's and it's honestly great to uh, you know to to hear such a you know just optimistic and excitement from Katina for for this project because as you all know you know as soon as those words come out of someone's mouth of uh, operational efficiency, I think a lot of people want to go hide on. But, you know, yeah. it's it's really frankly. It's, it's just really not that bad, right? Okay. And so we're, we're really looking forward yeah. to talking about So you're saying I'm living up to my my uh, title of CPA and <laughs> accountant, <laughs> being excited <laughs> about those kinds of things. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got you know, I, I to gotta protect those peers in arms. So, All right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but even from a marketing perspective, there's results that are an outcome of those things that are, those are things to get excited about. So I'll speak to that. <laughs> there you go. And there's some shocking numbers here too to talk about. I am excited to talk about this because some of the things that even just reviewing the outline, I think people are going to be shocked in listening. So I'm excited to just dig in and thank you so much for lending your expertise and sharing that with our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. We love talking about this stuff. Tom's right. Normally we can clear a cocktail party faster than anybody (laughs) you know. So. Well, not today, because our listeners love this stuff. So <laughs> so today, just kind of an overview, we're talking about timekeeping, quality, and collections, right? Yes. 
Yeah, and, and they're, they're more linked than you probably would ever expect. Right. So uh, before we dig in, can you give us just an overview of why these things matter, why people should care? Yeah, sure. So, you know, first of all, lawyers get into the business of law to, you know, to help other people to uphold a, an ethical standard of, of care and because they care about some underlying issues. But, you know, they're also in the business of being a lawyer to make money. And, and to the extent that you can maximize the amount of revenue that you can keep, right, maximize your net income um, without having to do extra work, you know, there's benefit to you, right? So you know, part of it is there, there's a couple of ways you can, you can grow your own bottom line. One is you can just keep taking on more and more cases. The other is you can make more per case without doing extra work. If you do both those things at once, you're on a, a really great trajectory. But but there's a, there's an awful lot of money that's kind of spilled on the ground as, as attorneys move through the, the matters and they and they go from setting that that initial meeting up and, and contracting with a client through closing that 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 case out and collecting that last payment. Right. So that's what we're trying to help everybody with today with some tips and tricks and things to pay attention to, really. So why don't you kick us off with timekeeping? No, absolutely. So, you know, some of the some of the stats that we've that we've already shared is that just leading off since 2007, annual hours for attorneys are down about 132 hours a year. Now, that can be for a variety of different reasons. You know, it could be lifestyle changes in the industry, but it also can be, you know, lower, lower productivity or really just trying to figure out how to work smarter, not harder. Right. Uh, you know, you know, I think we all have this perception that our lives are busier than they were, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And, you know, what we really like to focus on is saying, hey, you know, let's with without just reinventing the wheel and really making something that's very, very administratively burdensome to you. How can we help firms and why is it important to to, to firms to, to focus on timekeeping? Because really, a lot of your smaller firms, frankly, they they don't, uh, you know, they don't keep time in some instances because maybe they're, you know, more of a fixed fee driven. And so we'd like to talk about really, you know, some of the staggering stats around lost revenue. Uh, we like to talk a lot about, uh, and we'll hit on a few of those. Um, we like to talk a lot about just like, hey, how do you utilize tools and technology in order to to make this very meaningful change to your business by, by tracking your time more efficiently and more accurately? What are some of the ethical reasons you should be doing it? And really, how does it truly at the end of the day help you from a, from a business standpoint? So, so really, that's kind of the, you know, the little bit of a, the, the boring headline, if you will. But at the end of the day, I do think the, stock, the stats are, are shocking. And that the number one error that we see people make is that we all assume in our daily lives that our memory is better than what we think it really is. Mm-hmm. I always like to think that I can re- remember that dis- significant other dispute much better than the other significant other, right? <laughs> but, you know, just for one example. At, at the end of the day, there's, there's been a lot of studies conducted. And, you know, it's, you know, a lot of studies have said that if, if you're not tracking real time, if you're just simply waiting till the end of the day to track your time, you might be losing up to 10% of your time. You know, that's just a staggering number. And then, if you kind of think about, you know, waiting till the end of the week, the, the ranges run as high as uh, 50 to 75 percent can, can be lost, you know, depending on the person. That's mind blowing. It is. It's just 
it's just mind blowing. And, you know, obviously that will vary from person to person, but, you know, you look at it, you know, that's still, you know, that, that 10 to 25 to 75% range, you know, pick, pick the number that you truly believe in. Right. Uh, and, you know, say, Hey, I don't believe those studies, but, you know, you know, could you acknowledge just at least that saying wait until the end of the week, probably you're losing 10%. It doesn't matter. 10% is a right. very material number. I mean, I'm sure in, you know, in the accounting firm, if you find out and someone comes and introduces a solution to you about saying, Hey, how can I increase your, your captured billables by 10%, you know, people are going to be jumping up and down and saying, Hey, what's the, uh, you know, what's the magic sauce? Give me that software, right? Uh, <laughs> right. I think we just don't realize, you know, just how our memories do fail us. And, you know, with all the best intentions, we get busy. And then just generally recall, human recall is just not as good as well as what we think it is. So really, there, if there's any one story as to kind of like, you know, why is timekeeping important? You know, there's an ethical component to it, but really just, you know, the, the revenue loss, the idea of, of doing the ethical things for for your clients and just getting taking credit for for what you do do is, is really important. Really, really right. something we like to talk to people about. Yeah, and I like to point out even like from a KPI perspective, not only just a client billing perspective, but you know even tracking your administrative time and and your time talking you know sales calls or whatever it may be. Because again, you're looking from a KPI perspective. How do I make my firm more efficient? Do we need a different process? Do we need different people in place? So whether you're billing by the hour, or you're billing flat fee. I still think that's really important to look at where you're spending your time as a as an owner of a business but also looking at your team's time and where can you increase those efficiencies in the business. So either way, I think it's really important to do that. And like you said, to do it effectively. If you're 50% wrong, that's not going to give you a lot of feedback <laughs> as to what you should be doing in your business. Yeah. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Tom and I, I don't know that we've spoken to a firm yet that does uh, fixed fee billing who, who hasn't tried to minimize the need for them to track time, either for themselves or their staff. And and the logic is I'm already paying for the person's time and it's a fixed fee. So why does it matter? And, and, it, and it matters for the reasons that, that you stated, right? Like if, if your staff is putting in three more hours for a certain type of matter consistently, then that means that you've, you've underpriced that matter. And, and maybe you're, you're losing money every time you do it. You're certainly not making as much as you think you are. The, the converse is true though, too. If you're taking significantly less time than you assumed it would, you've got an opportunity to actually drop your price and do a whole bunch more of that work and increase your overall fiscal health. And, you know, just to try to get people's attention and really understand it as well as like that, we're not, when we talk about timekeeping accuracy, we're not always talking about underbelly. And, you know, as the, the finance background, you know, that's that's what we like to gravitate towards. I'm sure you do too, it's your, it's your firm. It's like, how can I help people? increase the profitability of their firm. And that's a lot of our goals too. But I like to talk about like, look, a lot of times you you may not be billing the correct client either for services, or you may have thought that you spent more time on something than what it really did. And then that's when we start to kind of kind of delve into is like, gosh, you know, if, I, if you were to tell me that my time input was 10% uh, inaccurate, either way to the plus or minus side, now all of a sudden I have to think about that ethical issue that I brought into the equation. So definitely it's revenue optimization. It's, it's talking about those efficiencies and understanding how to set your price, but it's also meeting your, your duty to your clients to have them have a good 
accurate bill once it goes out the door. Yeah, because now you're not having to do write-offs. You're not having to adjust your bills to to kind of placate an angry client, right? And one of the other problems that we see, if you're not tracking as close to real time as possible, is you you begin to see block billing occur. It's an easy habit to fall into. So yes, I worked on your on your matter for three hours. That that's rarely going to result in a happy client, <laughs> right? They're going to want to understand what do you mean three hours? So what what did you do in that period of time? So if you can break it down into more bite sized pieces, I spent 20 minutes reviewing some documentation. I spent 40 minutes preparing a draft, right? That that's a much better way to present an hour's worth of work than our build. Yeah. Right. So, so that granularity really helps. And any of us who've been in business for, you know, for even five years, probably at some point in time, you, you run through your first attorney's bill or your accountant's bill, right? And it's $5,000, right? Or it's 10,000, or, you know, if you're a corporation or you have a complex matter, maybe it's 25 or 50. And really having them understand the, the granularity of some of the work that, that you've done and understand the importance of it. Now, if I say 0.25 fax, 0.25 phone call, right? These are not the types of things we're, we're, we're talking about really. I mean, you know, they can be important to make sure we account for them and we account for them accurately, you know, especially if we have corporate clients and leads building, we can get into that a bit, but, but overall just being sure that we're breaking down our time in the chunks where it says, you know, it, it really is telling the story for that client. And it's not only helps to get the, get the bill accurate and ethically, but, you know, we all know that the foundation of collections really starts with a fee agreement and very, very quickly gets into how accurate and how much do they understand the bill? Because one of the largest, especially in law, one of the largest ways to decrease your realization, the amount that you collect on every bill is to have the bills be confusing to your, to your clients or they not understand, raise that dispute level. And so dispute levels go up, clarity go, you know, clarity's down, payment goes down. It's just as formula as that. Yeah. And so beyond, I mean, obviously, ideally, we're entering our time while we're doing the work and being as clear and concise about what that work entails. But beyond that, what are some other tips that you would suggest to improve that process in a law firm? Yeah, there's there's a couple of things that you can do operationally that will help your firm you know better collect it you know things like making sure that you're using accurate accurate notes that go along with your time entries so that it, it is clear to you and to the client what is it that you actually did um again not not doing bulk billing uh, that that is always going to be going to be an issue making sure that you're reviewing the time for the people who are your associates who are working on the matter making sure that what they've done is is accurate and fairly represents the work the work that they actually performed and then you know to the extent that you're actually out out of the office and you're in court representing multiple clients you want to make sure that you split the time between those clients accurately don't double bill for travel time right make make sure that that you are being within the ethical guidelines of of how you should be treating those customers all of those really help. The the easiest way, in my opinion, to to actually help you, you know, to enable better billing practices is to use a practice management software that's got a timer built into it, right? And 
you know, that way, that way, as you go about your day, you can start and stop timers, you know, ideally, and it doesn't have to be ours, like that software will have prompts that then would ask you, okay, you've got this timers run for two hours on the matter. How does that break down, right? What are the charge codes that, and how much time did you spend against each of them? As you work your way through that list, you, you get down to, well, there's 20 minutes left. Oh yeah, I, you know, I went and grabbed lunch, right? And then you, you just write that remaining part off. So to the extent that you're relying on a tool to help you, instead of relying on your own memory, you're, you're going to have much more accurate billing. And, and it adds up. So even if you just miss 10 minutes a day and you bill $200, hours in, $200 an hour, at the end of the year, you've lost $8,000 in billable hours just through what feels like a very, very minor miss of 10 minutes across a single workday. Right. Yeah. I mean, like I said, some of these numbers are just, they blow your mind, you know, because you just think of them as such a minute part of doing business. It's so small that, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. But when you look at it as a full year, I mean, those things add up pretty quick. So 10 minutes may not seem like like much, like you said, but eight grand a year, I mean, that's not nothing. Right. And then, you know, you also look at the scaling, like, well, I'd say grand a year per person, like how many people do you have across your journey? Right. I mean, that can be a really big number for a firm. Ultimately, you know, if you look at it that way. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you think about if either of us were, were trying to go into somewhere and say, hey, you know, I you know, my my margins aren't as good as they were five years ago. What can I do? I think a lot of attorneys would be very surprised to say that this is one of the first places that we would go. You know, I think a lot of them automatically think like, you know, you look at some comes about like, you know, what can I do to cut costs and what can I do to streamline and, you know, do more with less man hours, you know, because those are some of my biggest, uh, but it's really, you know, it's really a great place to go to and start with fundamentally first before you have to start trying to think about what things that you have to cut or what other investments you need to make in your firm. And you think about the amount of time and investment that we're willing to make sometimes in order to, to negotiate, you know, for, you know, many of the things that you buy in a, in a law firm, you know, whether it be your, you know, your, your legal research or, you know, your payroll company or, you know, and then you think about, gosh, I'm spending all that time over there and that energy, or maybe my admins are, and if we just focus a little bit more on this, you know, we, there's a big pile of money here just waiting for us to, 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 to go pick it up. And, and, and you know, and I, I know it, it, it can sound quite, quite simplistic, you know, overall, but, you know, it's just incredibly important. And I think we just lose sight of sometimes some of the simpler fundamental things we can do. And how, how much technology has advanced. And I, and I think overall, it's been such a huge impediment in the past that, you know, timekeeping software didn't used to be that good at the end of the day. And now, you know, technology has really evolved. And now it really is much easier than it ever has been. And I think now is a good time to take a look and kind of reset and say, hey, is this as big as administrative burden as I once thought it was? Yeah. And it can produce a lot of great results from a process perspective. I like to tell people, don't you know, we don't want to use our timesheets to beat up on everybody. I mean, yes, there's going to be certain, you know, things that we want to hit, certain metrics, et cetera. But when when we have a an issue hitting that metric, we it helps us go to the root of what the problem is. Is that a process problem? Is Are things really clunky for some reason? Um, do we need more administrative support for that attorney because they're having to spend too much admin time? They need some help. 
So it can really be a way of improving your processes and improving your life from that perspective. So, um, so I also like to yeah. say, you know, keep a positive attitude towards timekeeping uh, from a firm perspective and how you approach it, because it's really can, what can really make your firm grow. And it opens those lines of communications and it really just, you know, keeps your people happier, things like that. But if you come at it, you know, more draconianly <laughs> from the bad, a bad perspective. Why aren't you hitting your hours? Why aren't you this? Why aren't you that? You know, we want to look at it from a, well, what, what's the underlying root core problems of that? And yes, there's going to be accountability surrounding that, but, you know, really looking at it, is it, you know, really that's not the best person for that seat in the business? Or is it really that there's some other contributing factors that we need to resolve as a firm? You know, I'm glad that you mentioned the admin involvement. And that is, is that, you know, how many firms do we know and how many people do we know to where they, you think about our memory and our recall, right? And then and the ability for error and loss there. Think about when you're sitting there writing all that time down into an Excel spreadsheet or on a piece of paper and now handing that off to an admin to, to, to input in and do the note. You know, there's, there's yet another loss in translation there in the chargeable value. And so that's why that's part of why I mentioned the ease of, the, of utilizing the technology, because if if you're writing down your time and you're allowing someone else to input that for you, you're having very similar loss, if not more, more of a loss as if you are not keeping time at all. And so I think it's an important point. And, you know, plus we all know it's a it's, it's how it used to work. Right. And how it still works in a, a lot of law firms and accounting firms sometimes, too. So. <laughs> In addition to timekeeping, I mean, like you said, it seems simple on its face, but it really can impact revenue so greatly. So it's not something to just gloss over. So this kind of goes hand in hand with timekeeping, but collections is the next thing yeah. that we wanted to talk about. So tell us about the impact that collections can have on a firm. Yeah, so so a lot of the timekeeping fundamentals then immediately flow through into your collection efficiency, right? And, and so there's a couple statistics that, that I think most law firms are probably unaware of. In general, only 81% of billable hours are actually invoiced. So somewhere through that process of inaccurate timekeeping, people reviewing things and saying, ah, oh, that feels a little heavy. We should maybe write that amount down a little bit. A firm only issues a bill for 81% of what they could. Then, on average, they only collect about 85% of what they actually invoice. So math is not in your favor on this one, right? So you're, you're now looking at you know, two-thirds of what you could have been collecting if you had had accurate timekeeping, feeding the engine, going into your invoices, and then going out the door. It, and at the same time, you've not created some unhappy clients out there who, who now feel they need to scour every bill you have and start grinding you on 12 minute increments. I think that's, I think that is key. And I think that is the most close timekeeping tie in that there is about the, about the collections, about how it helps you is that, you know, showing the client that you're giving something of value, showing that client that, uh, you know, that they can trust and what you're writing down and that you're not just trying to nickel dime them uh, every, every which way to term that, that, that definitely, you know, helps. I do want to take us kind of back a step, though, in that saying, like, look, at the end of the day, the collection cycle really doesn't start at the time that you, you, you take an action on that file. It really starts with that original engagement and, uh, and having an agreement in place that, that is clear. 
and meets the good, not just the good business fundamentals, but also that matches up with ABA rule 1.5, right? And that is, you know, you know, it just needs to be clear, you know, how am I going to be billed? How are any retainers being contemplated? May someone else be billing and working on my case? If so, what ranges of, of prices may I be paying for that? And really establishing from the get-go, you know, kind of, if it's possible, depending upon the type of client you have, you know, is it possible to even say within their, you know, what's the expectations of uh, payment terms? And so there's just, you know, having, you know, kind of setting those expectations up front can have not just help us meet our ethical requirements, but also just have great business fundamentals of having that communication up front, uh, people understand. When people understand a lot of times what the expectations are, living up to those expectations is is a bit easier and a little bit more palatable. Yeah, definitely. I like that focus on setting expectations at the start because that makes such a big difference. I mean, across any industry, but especially in legal because it's very it's intimidating, right? For a lot of people going into that. So I think that's that's a good focus on proper communication and setting those expectations. Yeah, Megan, I was going to say similarly, you know, like that's one of our core values is that proactive communication too. And just staying in contact, you know, with your client about what's going on, where the bill is heading, especially if it's something that maybe was a little different than you first expected um, when you were sitting down and talking to them. So I think that that communication both in as you're doing the work, but also in the billing, like you said, the transparency of what's going on um, really helps them gain a good understanding and feel comfortable with paying a bill and just, you know, comfortable that they can trust what you're doing and what you're billing them. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great point that that communication midstream throughout, throughout any, uh, you know, project task or, or matter we're completing for a client, you know, as things do change, as expectations, these complications come in, you know, it that that communication is very, very important to not just being a great core value, but, but realizing the the bill at the end and, and getting that collected from the client. So I I think that's some great great advice. And I don't know this uh, maybe a little out of left field. I don't know if your system has the uh, ability of doing uh, whip alerts for for the attorneys, where it uh, you know which basically whip is your your accumulating time throughout the month, right? And it, it can kind of give you a, a report maybe once a week, whether it's an alert or just a report of where your client stands. So then you are just really you know, like you said, sometimes your perception is not your reality. <laughs> and if you're keeping your time daily and you're getting those reports and you see, oh, this bill's getting maybe a little higher than I, I would have expected at this time of the month, checking out what's going on, or maybe that's the trigger to proactively communicate with your client about about what's going on and, and whether they want you to proceed or, you know, just so they know what to expect when the bill uh, does come out. Yeah. So, you know, having a, having a system to where you have that dashboard look at your client in your matter, so that you can always see, hey, this is this is what I've what I've built within the time period that I've, I've preset. Here's here's what's currently in WIP, and that's sitting sitting there and unbuilt. You know, what's those hours and that dollar value? That really is very important. Can really help help you know implement that that procedure that you that you're speaking of. And it's, I think it's very very important. The other thing is is that obviously systems. You know, you talked a little bit about whip alerts. You know, we we have this concept of you know of matter alerts. You know, that you really can be used and set and customized for a variety of different ways. And you can also in the future kick off you know even even some tasks around that. So I think those are very very important tools that you can utilize to help help streamline some of that. And then obviously you know we're talking about collections. A matter alert if someone didn't pay their bill. 
you know, I think we'd be a bit remiss though if we if we didn't talk just a little bit about for for those firms that that have to bill, you know, they have a third party involved reviewing their bills, you know. So my the main payer, you know, I'm the client, but the main payer is going to be my insurer for 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 instance, and and really how you know some of these fundamentals help with that that as well. You talk about having to to, to break down for leads billing and you know. And having those accurate bills and getting all the time in and reviewing the associates' time and making sure that you know it's clear in our narratives of that, hey, Scott and I may be working on the same matter, but let's make sure our notes are clear that he's handling one item and I'm handling the other, so that therefore, whether it be a private, corporate, or an insurer reviewing that bill, that 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 having that clear note really does tie it in and say, hey, we're doing different things don't cut my time or don't not pay my bill. And so that, that helps a lot with collections down the road as well. Yeah. The other is, is timing in general. I'm always shocked. Even when I talk to large firms, how many of them dedicate having partners set aside the last two weeks of the year to literally drive around to their clients and try to pick up checks, right? So you should be treat collections as a year round activity. Don't, don't, as a client concession, stop billing or stop collecting and, and make weird one-off verbal deals with people that you'll wait. It, you'll have a process and follow the process and collect throughout the year. And if somebody falls behind and you need to put a workout plan together, obviously put a workout plan together. You're, nobody's got an incentive to drive a client into bankruptcy. You know, maybe their business was impacted by COVID and they can't afford to pay. But document that and then live to that plan. Don't don't just make a verbal waiver and then hope that December 28th you're going to drive over and pick up a big check. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, we're 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 all dealing in a relationship business, right? And I and I understand the the fears that managing partners have of involving others in the collection process and so they 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 implement some of these processes where they're going to call, you know, after someone's 90 days later, you know, pretty you know, maybe at the end of the year for that revenue push, you know, because they're so worried about someone damaging the relationship. But really, if you have a client centric model in your firm, people have an expectation to and, and really sometimes appreciate receiving that reminder. And those reminders can come from your admin staff. They don't have to come from you. And they they can be written in, in such a manner to where it's not going to turn your clients off. And I think it's important that don't don't avoid that interim communication and let others uh, admin step follow up, you know, with with a, a heavier touch sometimes. And then you can maintain the relationship or just that very that, that very light touch reminder type of a type of approach. You know, you know, collections doesn't come down to banging your fists on a table and screaming at people over the phone. You know, like we all think about the boiler room type type collection agency type stuff. You know, it really is more about follow-up and constant contact than it is about, uh, you know, aggression. And I think it's very, very important. So I think that helps take a little bit of that fear, fear away, understanding mm-hmm. that concept. And we're, we're happy to guide firms through, through that process. And we, you know, we provide that service for firms as well to where we, we, we will help do some of that follow-up for you, that constant contact. You maintain that relationship with the client and, you know, at the end of the year, hopefully you're you're trying to ask for a little bit less money than you did the year before. No, I like that tie back to the relationship focus because that it really does play a big part in how we 
perceive things too. You know, like you think of collections and your immediate reaction is kind of, Ugh, yeah. <laughs> I don't, don't want to deal with that. Same with sales. You know, a lot of people have that same connotation with, oh, sales. But if you look at it more in a relationship service focused lens, you know, you look at it through that, that way, it breaks down the walls a lot easier. And you're just having conversations. We're all people, we're all humans, you know, and they know that you're in a business relationship. So it's just, it's having that communication. And that kind of brings us to our last point of quality. Yeah. You know, that's another thing that can have a huge impact on revenue. Yeah. And and traditionally, I don't know that that law firms have thought of quality as being applicable to their business. Right. And, And so, you know, we've spent a lot of time with with some clients working through what what does a quality system look like and how do you institute continuous quality improvement into a law firm and why would you want to do that and it's a lot of the things we spoke about already right setting client expectations up front what are you going to deliver what is the likely outcome of this but also how often will you get an update from me when will you know that we've passed a material milestone in the matter when do you know we've moved into a different phase for this case and in committing to them up front this is what i commit to you as a client you know you client you need to commit to me that you'll give me accurate follow-up right you want to have that that dual commitment with both the client and the attorney where you've set those expectations out then what we've done for for some clients is we'll actually audit um, that communication so we don't and we're very clear to say we don't audit the quality of the legal work we're not going to issue an opinion on whether your legal work was adequate or proper or what we would have chosen to do. But what we will audit is, did you communicate with the client on time? You know, you said that you would communicate at week six and then you would communicate, you know, three weeks prior to making that trial decision, whatever those milestones were, we'll, we'll go in and we'll review the notes and make sure that that actually happened. Not with the intent of punishing the attorney who didn't, but with the intent of helping the firm understand, here's how you can better manage your client's expectations, drive up customer satisfaction by keeping those commitments real and living up to the expectations that you set. We also recommend to our clients that you do client client surveys. So at a couple points throughout the case, depending on the type of law you're practicing, right, how long they go, send, send a survey out, ask them, how was your experience with the law firm? Did you feel that you were communicated to adequately? Do you feel that that you were listened to? Would you recommend this firm to your friends? And and those two things together give you a very accurate picture of what changes should you think about making to your firm in order to better serve your clients, increase customer satisfaction. It it ultimately helps you build a brand for your law firm, right? And this firm stands for these things and that's our reputation and it's not because we got there accidentally it was a deliberate strategy to make sure that we lived up to our you know to our promises yeah, and that, there, there's other things that that firms can do oh go ahead katina 
Yeah, no. As you were talking to, and you kind of leaned on it towards the end of the strategy. I mean, this is uh, needs to be part of your strategic plan and processes for business. So look at it from a, you know, top down approach to managing partner and the leaders of the firm need to th- sit down and think about what should this process look like for maybe different types of matters or depending on the complexities. But then line that out and set set out that you know these are the touch points that we want to see as a firm our attorneys making with our clients and then you get everybody doing the same process for that type of matter. And that just, like you said, exponentially increases your your efficiencies. Everybody knows what's supposed to be going on. Nobody's recreating the wheel. And you're, like you said, getting better client satisfaction out of the process because of that. And then as you're getting feedback from the clients, you can tweak your process if, if it's not working the way that you wanted it to work. But that just makes things very scalable to overall for the business as well. So that helps you grow yeah more comfortably, like we like to say, we want to grow more yeah. comfortably and not crazy. <laughs> so, yeah. It, it opens the door to two, two, what I'd think of as material benefits. The, the first is, as you said, you've now institutionalized a process for how you do things that enables outsourcing of things that aren't core to your firm, right? lawyers like to vertically integrate like no other business. I, I swear if they could go out and grind up their own their own reads to make their own paper to print on, they would. <laughs> but but that's not that's not the most efficient way to operate a business. And so maybe there are things that your firm does that could be better handled by a professional firm who does that, you know, for a living. Let your attorneys really focus on practicing law, managing their client relationships. The other the other big benefit that, that we've seen is, is you can actually demonstrate to professional liability insurance companies that you have a quality process, that you have a mechanism to listen to, to feedback, and you have a process to then fix those things as they come in. We've been able to help firms dramatically decrease the cost of their, pro- of their professional liability premiums as a result of demonstrating a solid quality process. Nice. Yeah, it is especially if you have more than one office. I think that's where that's where the really the biggest benefit of our clients have found. If you have more than one office, you know you're you're not always sure how things are are going. You know when when you're not there, and that's why it's great to have this system to codify these these systems and get the surveys back and get the feedback from the clients, um, because you know at the at the end of the day, happy clients generally don't sue. Uh, you know, they, they, they generally don't don't sue their their provider. And so how do you do that? You keep them paying the client centric model and then be sure to if you can measure that. Now we've made it meaningful. And now it's something that we can present back back to our insurer, to an insurance broker to partner with us to to help lower those those professional liability costs. And pulling it back to a little bit in the growth area as well. I mean, this is just like full circle coming back into, like you said, happy clients. They pay your bills. They don't sue you. They also refer people to you. (laughs) So you're getting your referrals coming out of that too, right? So this client-centric model has tons of dividends it can pay. And then also as you're doing those kinds of things, this gives our marketing people like Megan some really great statistics to go out and, and boast about, right? And we're a great firm. Look at our retention. Look at 
our client satisfaction rates, look at these things. And it really helps people when they're looking for an attorney, if they're not being referred and they're going to your website or they're going to Google or wherever, they get a feel for, you know, you have great reviews, you're doing a really good job. Um, and that's just going to exponentially, you know, increase the leads coming in. So it really comes for full circle and, and kind of back into you from that perspective as well. Yeah. Reputation has never been easier to, to evaluate, uh, you know, and some may not be earned, but, you know, if you get enough happy clients that can, can overshadow, you know, the, the French case in your firm, you know, your, your Google rating or Yelp rating, you know, believe it or not, people, even for law service, people are still looking at these, these items and not only does it make it you great marketable, but it also helps protect your reputation. I think you've worked very, very hard to, to establish in a community. And now, you know, now there's all kinds of sources in social media now for people to tell you how great you're doing, or, you know, if they don't think you're doing so great. So the, the more people you have telling you you're doing great, the more marketable you are and the more, you know, that, that old word of mouth reputation is now, you know, online. And so it's important to protect it because, you know, frankly, you know, we talked a little bit before, you know, we're all to somewhat under these relationship businesses. And so our reputation is part of those, those relationships. Perfect. Well, that wraps up our quality section very well. I mean, that was all music to my ears as a marketing professional. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I'm sitting here knocking it out of the park. Not that you just stop at the client satisfaction survey, but there's a full process for following through and improving things. And I just, I love to hear that. So Thank you again so much for joining us. We, I mean, this was so much education for our listeners. And I do want to touch on the fact that you guys, Lexicon, offers a bunch of education on your site as well. You guys have a podcast. You've done webinars. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So we we have a, a podcast uh, called The Lex Factor. And, and we have two formats. We have a long format where we'll spend 45 minutes doing kind of what we've talked about here, right? How do you improve the practice of law for your firm? And then we have what, what we call the Lex Factor Briefs, which are shorter, quick hits where we, we pull articles out of the news, either the trade press or the, or the general newspapers, and we talk about an issue that impacts the business of law. And we do that in 15 minutes or less. And we give you our opinion. It might not be your opinion, and it might not be the right opinion, but we have an opinion on it, and and we we talk about it, and yeah, I think that those are those are pretty fun. And then we do a weekly webinar series, uh, Lexicon Live, where we'll pick a topic and we'll go pretty deep for about forty five minutes. Um, we'll show statistics, and yeah, we stream it on YouTube. We stream it through um, through the Lexicon site, and and people can can look at the charts that we're talking about, and you know. It, it's great to say there's an 85% collection rate on an 81% of hours that should be billed. You put that on a visual chart that people can see, and it really jumps out at you just how many hours you're missing. And so we like that video format also. And, and those are the, the, the primary streams that we've got to, to reach out to the legal community and, and share our, our expertise. Perfect. Well, as I was going through your website, I mean, it was, it was very impressive. And we'll go ahead and link to all of those in the show notes for this episode as well, which can be found at pjscpas.com forward slash 70. And there on that page as well, you will also find a special offer from Lexicon. They are offering three months free on practice management software subscription or virtual receptionist services. You can choose one or both. And that's with a one-year subscription. 
And if you're considering getting a practice management software or any of the services that we discussed today, I mean, this is a no-brainer. If you're going to get it anyway, might as well save yourself three months. So you can find that offer at lexiconservices.com forward slash PJS, or like I said, on the show notes page for this episode, a couple different places that we'll link to it, but you will want to take advantage of it before the end of May of 2021, because they're running this limited time offer for our listeners only. So go there, take advantage and get yourself some savings. You know where to find us, pjscpas.com. You can send us an email, smoke signal, reach out if you are interested. So thank you again so much, Scott and Tom. It was a pleasure to have you on. No, great. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Keep that momentum going and we will see you next time. This has been another episode of the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe, rate, and review. Gain access to additional free resources and learning opportunities by visiting pjscpas.com forward slash podcast.